We are better together. Clownfish and anemones have a mutually beneficial relationship. The anemone offers protection, and the fish keeps the anemone clean from bacteria. God created us each with a special purpose. When we do our part, all benefit. I need what you have to offer, and you need me to do my part. We are each unique and important, and we are infinitely better together. Our series called "This Is My Story," and uh, waiting for it to waiting for my notes to open. There we go. It's the problem with technology these days. Um, so, uh, some of you may not know, but I am the oldest of three, and uh, my youngest sister, her name is Melanie, and uh, she, she and her husband Noah um, are on their way to being missionaries in Mexico. And uh, they're awesome. Uh, she's seven years younger. I mean, we don't think we have a picture of them, but they're seven years younger than me. Um, and uh, my sister, due to some physical um, uh, just challenges in her body, she can't have kids and has always, always wanted kids. Uh, if you know my sister, she is a kid, uh, perpetually. Uh, and so um, she's awesome. And so her and her husband have become foster parents. I don't know if anybody's ever gone down that road or done anything like that, but it's uh, it's a new experience for me watching somebody close to me go through that and you know kind of experience that, um, you know. And they have an adorable, adorable girl right now. They've had eight months, nine months. They got her when she was two days old, from picked her up from the hospital. They've had her nine months, and there's there you know it's they're hoping to adopt her, but. Highly unlikely, and so God's going to have to intervene. And you know, it's just that's really, really hard. You know, when you get so invested, this is their fourth uh, foster child, and it's really hard if you know you think about foster kids like, oh, I'm taking in a kid, helping the kid out. But sometimes it's you get, you know, I mean, it's your child. You become mom and dad to these kids, and it's very hard to to let go. Can you imagine that? Like, can, if you're a parent, you can maybe imagine and, and empathize. Um, this past week, I was listening to the radio. Um, while I was in a just in, in my in my truck, and um, there was a husband and wife sharing about adoption, and they were foster parents, and they were sharing about this whole thing, um, and she was talking about how it was difficult to give the kids back. She was really struggling, knowing that maybe the situation that she was putting the child back into wasn't the best situation. You know, it's a they're coming from a good, stable situation. They're kind of going back into a, a very tenuous, you know, not always the best. The best scenario. Um, and he, she just said she was praying about it. And she felt like God said this to her. He said, you are not the star of their story. I am. And I was like, whoa. And she said, you know, he said to her, you will be in their story for a season. But I will be in their story forever. And she said, and from that point forward, she just had peace. She had a lot of peace in herself. Um, that God had these kids in his hands, right? It wasn't up to her. She wasn't their chief protector, right? That, that he, he had it. Um, we've been doing this series on stories and sharing our stories of faith and struggle and just how God has shown up. Um, the book of John is probably one of my favorite uh, books in the Bible. It's very different than the three other accounts of Jesus' life um, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John has a way of writing deep theological truth in very simple language. And I love that. I love it about it. He kind of simplifies everything. I'm a minimalist. I like to keep things real simple. Um, and, you know, John says things like, God is love. All right. 
Like there's a lot in there, but he just really simplifies it. You know, it's you know, and you know the, the famous verse. You know, God so loved the world, right? For God so loved that He gave His one and only Son. Like very simple theological truth. He makes it really simple that we can understand it. And in John chapter one verse six, he writes this. He says, "God sent a man named John the Baptist to tell about the light, so that everyone might believe because of his testimony, because of John's testimony. John himself was not the light; he was simply a witness to tell about the light." The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. See, God sent John to tell his story. And the purpose of telling his story was that other people would believe in Jesus. They used the metaphor that Jesus was light. Right? He uses the word. John calls Jesus the light. And there's this awesome image of Jesus. Think about Jesus like blazing in darkness. Right? There's like dark world and then there's just light. And it's because of Jesus. Like that's really pretty cool. And then... John gets really simple here, that John the Baptist told his story, but the story wasn't about John the Baptist. It wasn't about himself. And so essentially, what he's saying here is that John the Baptist wasn't the star of his own story. He wasn't the star. Jesus was the star of John's story. He says he came into the world but to be a witness to the light, but he wasn't the light. I mean, the story wasn't about John the Baptist. The story was about Jesus. And when he told his story, something amazing happened. People believed in Jesus. John tells the story, and people believe in Jesus. How does that work? See, it's just one of the miracles when you tell your story. See, when you tell your story, here's what I want to highlight. Ready? I'm going to be really encouraging to you today. You are not the star. (laughs) You are not the star of your own story. When you tell your story, Jesus is the star. And if you will tell the story of the difference Jesus has made in your life, something incredible happens. People will see Jesus in your story. Isn't that amazing? You tell your story and they see Jesus. I mean, this is the mission. This is our, great, our greatest mission here, to go and tell the world about Jesus. So the greatest thing you will ever do with your life is not submit a report. It will not be balancing a budget or teaching a class or, you know, attending to a patient or anything like that, the greatest thing you will ever do is tell people your story of Jesus. It's the greatest thing you will ever do. You point a dark world to the light. Isn't that cool? You're not the star. I'm not the star. Jesus is the star. And like that foster mom, we can't be with people forever. We're not the star of their story. They're not going to look back and say, oh, that person changed my life. No, they're going to say, God used you to change my life because you were just faithful to tell your story. When you tell your story, you lead people to Jesus. There is no greater mission. I'm telling you, you fulfill your purpose for your life. So each week we've been talking about why we're telling our stories. And I want to encourage you. Tell your story brings Jesus to other people. It's amazing, right? So you can be free to tell your story and you don't have to be the star. Um, So today I am going to invite you to look for the shining star in these stories that you're about to hear. You're going to hear stories about people's life. We're going to get to hear today from our brand new pastors that are joining us on staff, Pastor Andre and Carrie Marriman. So would you welcome them today as they come? Very excited to have Carrie and Andre here. Um, If you haven't been with us the past few weeks, they're going to be our pastors of spiritual development. Um, That's a 
Not sure exactly what that means. We're defining it as we go. We made it up. You know, like uh, there's nothing on the Internet about pastors of spiritual development. So we just said, hey, let's call you that. Um, and so, uh, no, we're thrilled to have you both here, have your family here. It's just awesome where they grew up there. All right. Got the youth up there. Their daughters are up there. They're their sons and uh, the kids, treehouse kids. But uh, thank you for coming. Thanks for moving in. They've been here about a week and a half now. Yeah. Yeah, about a week and a half. And uh, so... It's just already I'm telling you, I'm like walking on air because they're here. It's been it's been awesome. And uh, we're we're working on they've already had both Papa's and DiLorenzo's. So they've made good. They've tried it both. I will not put them on the spot. No, I will. Which one do you like better? (laughs) I think I think we need to try a little bit more. Oh, he's all right. He's being a diplomat. No, I, I see it. All I'm right. leaning towards Papa's. I think. Okay. I think she likes Delos. I think. I think for me, it's an atmosphere thing. So I like the DiLorenzo's atmosphere a little bit more. Gotcha. I think I'm good either way with the beef. Yeah. Tomato pie. Sorry. I yes, you can't. Pizza. Yeah, yeah. You can't. You can't go wrong. I mean, you really can't go wrong. You know. And they're coming from Tennessee, where pizza was, you know, ketchup on toast. You know. So, like, we've come a long way, right? Come a long way. Not true. Not no, true. not true. No, no. They have Pizza Hut. So, um, so thanks for, for being here. Awesome to have you guys. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions and just share your story with everybody today. So can you tell us first just kind of about the early years? What was life like for you guys growing up? You know, let, let us get to know you a little bit. Tell us what life was like. I grew up in Browns Mills, New Jersey, about 30 minutes from here. And um, I think my life growing up was split down the middle it had two sides and one side was the church side and um, my mom was the administrator of a christian school in our church so we were in church all day every day four times a week at night um, church all the time and then the other side was that my dad was an alcoholic and he had gotten saved as a little boy and insisted that we be in church insisted that we were christian school educated and yet was not living for the lord at all so i i kind of hung in this balance between the church world and the world of alcoholism and calling the bar to see if my dad was going to come home yet and that kind of stuff. Um, and at that time, 30 years ago growing up, all my friends, you know, their dads were in church with them and mine wasn't. And so I, I knew that we were different and I knew that my life was not the same as some of my friends, but very, very stable and that my mom was a rock. And um, my extended family, although they didn't know the Lord, I knew that I was unconditionally loved. My entire life, so I had two. I would say I had two sides to my growing up life. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I grew up in Ohio. I grew up in a place called Youngstown, Ohio. <laughs> Anybody ever hear of it? Yeah. Rachel. Okay. Thanks, Rachel. Um, it's an interesting town. It kind of shapes the people that are from there. Uh, at one point in the history of Youngstown, it was a steel mill uh, industry, a town. But when those mills shut down. It brought a lot of economic hardship, and uh, so it changed the makeup of, of that town. And uh, through the 60s, 70s, and 80s, it became known um, as Murderland, USA. It became a mob town. And uh, if you've ever seen the movie Goodfellas, no one will admit this in church, right? Um, there, there's a reference. There's like a little sly reference to Youngstown in there. And so that, sh- that shaped it a little bit. And... Uh, I don't know that so much of that. There's a Carrie always says that those of us from that area have such a weird pride <laughs> about where we're from, and uh, especially especially Youngstown. And so 
I'm proud of that. And uh, one of the things that kind of differentiates who we are, I mean, there's nine, I think nine championship, uh, world championship boxers that have come out of Youngstown. And so it's just, just interesting in, in that. And so I grew up, my mom is, uh, she's a Puerto Rican from Brooklyn, New York. And so I grew up with all the fun that is having an ethnic mom and all that she is. And uh, uh, she's still crazy. She's probably going to listen to this. So I love you, mom. But um, and my my dad is just just a white boy from Ohio. <laughs> and so there's a little bit <laughs> of diversity in that and how, how we grew up. My my uh, my dad's sister, my aunt, married my uncle, who's a black man. And so our family gatherings were just full of diversity. And almost like the United Nations coming together and nothing was off limits. You know, every stereotype and we just went after it all on race. And so I didn't realize until I went away to college how unique that growing up was. Um, just that we, we had that, that culture and diversity there. Yeah. Wow. So when you were, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, did you have aspirations? Yeah, I did. And, uh, Andre Rivera is not here, but he took my answers last week but he actually became those things <laughs> i'm a little jealous yeah but i think when i grew up i always thought that it'd be like in law enforcement or like i had a un like an unhealthy obsession with the x-files <laughs> i don't know if anybody remembers that show larry the truth is out there <laughs> okay and uh i don't know i really thought that i would i would go into something like the cia or something like that and and now i just read spy novels when i'm on vacation and <laughs> Andre Rivera, the other Andre actually became that. But, uh, yeah, I thought that I would do that. Even in, like, high school, I did, like, an internship at a, like, a crime lab. Wow. Uh, that kind of thing. So I thought I was going in that direction. Yeah. Wow. All right. I wanted to be an attorney. That was very, very heavily influenced by watching the TV show L.A. Law. So I thought being an attorney pretty much meant you drove a Jaguar and wore very expensive, <laughs> nicely tailored suits. Also, the fact that I had been told my whole life I had a big mouth. <laughs> and my big mouth got me in trouble, so I thought perhaps I could redeem it by using it for good in some way. But I think I wanted to do corporate law, which just meant make a lot of money in my mind, in my teenage mind. So, But that's what I always thought I wanted to be was an attorney. Wow. All right. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, so now kind of moving more into the vein of the church, you know, who are some of the people that had the greatest influences on, on faith, you know, for you growing up? Like... Was it a parent, a sibling, an extended family, or just a friend, you know, somebody like, you know, who were the people that influenced your faith growing up? I think I had lots of great influences in church. Um, when I was a little girl in the Assemblies of God, they did a program called Missionettes. And it was kind of like Girl Scouts, but churchy. <laughs> and uh, I, had a, I had a missionette leader who was um, a Czechoslovakian woman who had gone through the World War World War II and all that stuff. And she, I can still remember to this day, she could split an apple in half with her bare hands. Wow. Now, I don't know how spiritual that was, but I mean, if that woman <laughs> told me to love Jesus, I was going to love Jesus because she knew some stuff. <laughs> her name was Sister Wadashevsky, and I can still tell you how to spell it. I mean, so, but I had lots of people like that throughout my life that just were there. You know, um, we, I was just, we were just always in church, and there was always somebody there. Um, to, but probably most and strongest was my mom. Um, my mom was not, you know, my sister and I joke all the time that no one would have ever said my mom was 
um, some kind of spiritual giant or somebody who would stand up in church and testify or pray real loud or anything like that. But she was an absolute rock of faith. And we went through lots of hard, horrible things. And she just never wavered. It was just like, Jesus is Lord, he's Savior, and we go to church and it's what we do and it's who we are. And so really the thought of leaving church or getting mad at God, I had no thought that you could do any of those things. Because we went to church no matter what, and and God was in charge and, and we just served him. So. My mom would be the greatest, but yeah. that splitting an apple in half, that'll yeah. you too, you know. It's impressive. <laughs> Terrifying, but impressive. Yeah, Kevin's doing a good impression in the balcony of splitting an apple. <laughs> you guys are missing it on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, it's my parents. My parents are uh, my heroes, and they influenced my faith uh, completely and still do uh, to this day. My parents, part of why they're my heroes they, they came out of really um, hard backgrounds, hard families. And uh, both my parents came out of alcoholic, abusive uh, situations in their childhood um, where there was not a lot of love and just really, really hard things. And um, there's, there's a, I, I guess I could tell this story. We're telling our story today. So uh, one of the most defining moments probably in my family's uh, history is when my parents were married, they were young and married. I think I was, I think I was five years old. My sister was just born. Um, my father became really sick, and my parents weren't really serving the Lord. They weren't going to church. I think my mom came up in a Catholic background. My my dad was uh, grew up in a Baptist church, but was having no kind of impact in their life at that time. I think right before my dad got sick, my mom had just started going to a small group at a church. And some ladies, uh, she was meeting some friendships or having some friendships with some ladies. And my dad got really sick. And I can remember, it's one of these things when you look back in childhood, I remember, uh, you could just, I could go right back there right now. And I remember the time frame. And um, doctors didn't know what was going on with him. He, um, every system in his body was shutting down. And uh, they were just bringing teams of doctors in to just see what was going on with them. And nobody knew what was happening. And, um, and so, I don't know, it was over two or three weeks, and they were going to fly him from Youngstown to Cleveland, to the Cleveland Clinic. And they began to talk to my mom in, in a way that just said, hey, you need to prepare that your husband's not going to make it. And uh, you're going to be a widow, and you have two small kids, and you need to be prepare. My uncle tells a story that my dad's uh, skin color was gray. He was just turning gray. And uh, so the night before they were going to fly him uh, to the Cleveland Clinic, uh, my dad prayed a prayer, and uh, he just said to the Lord, he said, I, I've heard the stories of you when, uh, when I was a kid, and I know some of the stories in the Bible that you heal people. And so if you will heal me, I promise that I will put, get my family in church, dedicate my children to you, and if, if, you, if you choose to do that. And he made his heart right with the Lord that night. And he said, I'll, you know, I'll serve you the rest of my life. And the very next morning, he woke up and he was completely healed. And the same doctors that had come in to diagnose him came back to just in amazement at what had happened. I mean, he didn't have any symptoms the next day. All his color had come back and every system that had shut down was awakened. And uh, so from then on, uh, I think it was they said on his records, it was stamped medical miracle. 
on on his on his records. So from then on, I mean, wow. literally from that week on, my parents brought us to church, and so they're my heroes. Wow, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So. I don't know I me mean, if this answers the, the next question is, was that your kind of first encounter with God? Like, you know, at, you were only about five at that time. You know, did that did you really understand what was going on at that time? I didn't. Not not so much later. Um, I, you know, we were in church from that time, but um, probably my first, the dress and the first. Yeah. Well, what was the first time like, you know, you kind of knew that God was real for you? You know, yeah. when did that happen? Yeah, it was, I was 15 years old. I think the first time that that, that really happened, it became personal. Um, I told you a little about a little bit about where I grew up, and uh, my parents moved uh, when I was a freshman in high school. And part of why that happened is in my town, two high schools consolidated, and there was gang wars that were breaking out in my high school. Uh, every day, uh, we were going into school and we were getting patted down by police officers and through metal detectors. And my parents, in their wisdom, said, well, they basically said this, we think you'll be okay, but we're not sure about your sister. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that still, but uh, so we, we need to move. And so they moved, they moved us just five minutes away, uh, not even five minutes away, maybe just a couple miles away. But it took me out of the school system that I was in, all the friends that I had grown up, and, um, and it changed my life completely. And, but I was really angry at them. I was really mad. That, that we had moved, had changed my whole social life and all those kind of things. Um, and so I started doing really stupid stuff. I got in a lot of trouble. I was being a knucklehead and just, just doing dumb stuff. I, got, I did so much stupid stuff that I got uh, put on probation until I was 18 years old. And uh, so I was, I was angry. I was angry at them. I was angry at myself for messing up. I was just angry at everybody. And I was sitting in church on a Sunday morning. I couldn't tell you what the sermon was. Uh, but I could tell you where I was sitting. I was sitting far away from my parents, <laughs> all the way in the back row, as far as, the, you know, they were like somewhere up here in the balcony, and I was way over here, down here. And at the end, the pastor was praying. I don't even know what he was praying. But almost like a movie. It was like, I don't know, like the air went out of the room. And I heard a voice. And I don't know what to, to say other than that. It was kind of dramatic. And the voice said, Andre. I want you to know that I love you, that I didn't just die for your parents, I didn't just die for your pastor, but I sent my son on the cross for you, and I love you. And it was just like that, and I didn't know what to make of that. I'd never had that encounter, never experienced that, but it, I started to cry right there, and didn't tell anybody, didn't tell anybody for a long time, certainly wasn't going to tell my parents at that time, <laughs> um, but I kept thinking about that voice. And it so changed me, and it was the first time I really felt like I encountered God's love, and it just set me on this path. Yeah. Um, of just like the last, the next couple of years was a lot of growth. Wow. Growth in my life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Carrie, yeah. <laughs> you can clap. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are kind. Thank you. <laughs> Carrie, how about you? You know. I think I've had encounters along my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember exactly where I was. In my church at four years old when I asked Jesus into my heart. And I can remember the, the children's church worker who prayed with me. Um, when I was seven years old, there was a, um, an evangelist that came through our church. At that time, I was in an Assemblies of God church in Lumberton, New Jersey. And um, 
I remember they called for all the children to come out of children's church. And I was seven. I just stood at the altar where they told us to. And um, the person just prayed. And I was instantly baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues at seven. Um, so I always, I thought everyone spoke in tongues. I didn't know that, that not everyone did. Um, so I grew up with that. At 16, I went to youth camp and got called into the ministry. And that was very, very clear. Um, at the altar, the Lord said, go to Valley Forge and major in youth ministry. Um, but at the age of about 20, I was a junior in college, and at that time there was um, what some call a revival happening in Pensacola, Florida, at an Assemblies of God church there. And I was in Bible college, and we were studying the second phase of the history of Christianity, which was revivals that happened in places like Cambridge, Kentucky, and things like that, where people would go to hear evangelists and they would fall out of the trees and all these kinds of crazy things. And I remember a group of us in that History of Christianity class heard about this church thing that was happening in Florida, and we said, well, if that's really going to be a revival that they're going to write about in history books, we want to go see it so we can tell our grandkids we were there. Like, not at all like, oh, God's going to change our lives or, or God has something for me or anything like that. Um, so we, for spring break, got together in a 15-passenger van. For, Christ, for Christian kids go to church on spring break. <laughs> yeah, Bible college nerds who want to be, who want to know, you know, what the history books are going to write about. And um, anyway, so I went there, not at all thinking I was just going to witness people getting saved. I'd never seen, like, hundreds of people come to an altar at a time. Um, so I thought that'd be really cool to go see that. And also, there was really good worship music coming out of that church at that time, and I've always loved worship music. So I thought that'll be cool to, like, hear the cool worship music and stuff. And so we went, um, and people at that time, I don't... They they waited in line like all afternoon to get in church. It was cra- it was like a crazy like this is so weird. But it was Pensacola, Florida, and it was pretty out. So we sat in line and waited. Um, and before I even got in the doors, this is really weird. But it was like my insides were shaking. Like the presence of God was so strong, and what He was doing was so real that I was I could feel it even before I got in the doors. And so. Um, God really, really changed me there. Um, I remember the, the guy who was preaching saying, some of you are Bible college students and you're watching soap operas when you get out of class at the end of the day. And I was like, oh, he knows I'm here. Because <laughs> that's what we all did. We all watched soap operas. But the Lord really um, changed my life being there. And that was probably the biggest, the biggest time was that junior in college I went there thinking I really knew God and I really knew I was going to go like lead people to Jesus. And I was so awesome because I was in Bible college and I realized that there was a lot more to God than what I had experienced up until that time. Hmm. And um, it, that changed me forever. Yeah. Wow. So now they, the, the flip side of that, what are what are some of the most challenging times for you to tr- you know trust God? Like have there been moments or experiences that have really you know, test is your faith and times you're like, I'm not sure I really believe this stuff. You know, like what, you know, what have some of those been in your life? Or, you know, maybe just one or one of those, you know, was just, was there a moment that really tested you? I think in general, I f- if I feel like something that's happening isn't fair, it's hard. Hmm. 
Because I think when you're like me, I'm a church girl. I've grown up in church. Like, I don't really know anything other than being in church all the time. So, you know, going out and rebelling and doing crazy things, that's just not me. I'm a rule follower and kind of a stick to the way things should be kind of girl. And so when I feel like something isn't fair, like, Lord, I've worked really hard at this and it just fell apart. Or, you know, my mom who gave her whole life to serving in a Christian school and got brain cancer and died. That didn't feel fair. Um, and we prayed. We pr- everybody I know prayed. Everybody she knew prayed. And we believe in healing, and we know that God heals, and we know that he is a healer, and yet we had to watch my mom die. And that really stinks yeah. and really didn't feel fair. The weird thing about God, though, is that in those hardest moments, the ones that that you don't want to trust him and you feel like it doesn't make sense, sometimes those are the times when you feel him the closest, mm. when you feel his presence the most. I, the whole process of, of going and being with my mom at the very end of her life, I almost felt like I was floating in a cloud or in some kind of a bubble. And my aunt, who really doesn't know the Lord, um, we were talking about doing my mom's funeral, sitting in the hospice room and my mom is there and my uncles are there and they're asking us, well, who's going to do the funeral? And I said, well, Andre will do it. And my uncle said, what? Carrie, come on. How are you? How's he going to do that? This is too close to your heart. And my aunt, who doesn't really know the Lord, looked at him and said, do you see them? They can do this. Do you see that they're okay? They've got peace. And so I think, I think that's one of the amazing, miraculous things we don't understand about the Lord is that when it's hardest and it hurts the most, and you're the most um, fragile. Sometimes those are the moments when you might not realize it in that moment, but those are the moments when he's actually the closest. Yeah. So I, but when things aren't fair, that's when it's hard for me. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that you took all of my answers. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, I think when things are out of your hands. And you, like, when you truly have to depend on God, trust Him. Yeah. That's the hardest for me. I guess just being the leader, the personality that I have, the not having control in a situation. Uh, we've just been in a season where that, that was true for us. There was a lot of things that were out of our hands, mm. and we had to trust God through it. Yeah. And it's hard. It's, it's hard because I want to get into action. I want to do something about it. Yeah. Yes, I trust God, but let me help God along in this situation. And so, well, he needs your help. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, sometimes the t- sometimes God's timeline is hard sometimes uh, for me, yeah. uh, being patient in those moments. Yeah. Um, but he's always faithful. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the, for me as well, that, that patience thing, you know. Like, you know, following God's kind of like the, the hurry up and wait. Like, oh, you know, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta trust in that. Um, is there a Bible verse that you would say has been a life verse for you? Something that's kind of, you know, an anchor that you come back to? Yeah, I came prepared on my phone here. Sounds good. Um, Psalms thirty-seven, four through five. Uh, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust Him, and He will help you. Yeah. I think when I was a teenager, and I found this verse, I thought, oh, great, I can just seek him, and he'll give me everything I want. <laughs> but that's how I was reading that verse. Yeah. 
but the, the older I've gotten and the more that I've studied the word, it, it really is that when you put him first, his desires and your desires become the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so this, this, is, this is where I try to stay. And so this verse for me is, is what centers or what I try to come back to as a husband, as a father, as a leader, as just being somebody in the community. I want to put him first. Mm-hmm. I want his heart to be my heart. I want the things that he loves to be the things I love. Mm-hmm. And so probably this verse, I don't always do a good job at it, mm-hmm. but I always come back to this verse. Um, trust him and he'll help you. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely been an anchor. Cool. Mine is Second Corinthians twelve nine and 10. It says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly I would boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I am content with weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, and difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And I think when I found this verse, I attributed it to... Um, being a loud mouth a little bit and getting in trouble. I always got in trouble for talking too much and talking back and being a smart aleck and things like that. Um, but also, having grown up um, in an alcoholic home and have, not having a dad, I think those were the things I thought were my weaknesses. Um, of course, growing up and getting older, you realize there's a whole lot more to it than that. But when I found that, I thought, oh, God can use me. Even though I don't have a mom and a dad, and you know, now I don't, but even though I didn't have a dad at home, and even though I am, I'm not sweet and cute and quiet and all those things that I thought made you seem spiritual, (laughs) I thought I thought you had to kind of be good all the time Hmm. for God to use you and love you. So yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So as we wrap it up here, what was something that you would want your great grandkids to know? about God. You know, if you could if you could pass something down to a generation that you're not going to see. You know, what do you hope that they would know about God that you know? I think in a short phrase, I think it's worth it. Yeah. That serving God is worth it. Um I think it's easy to think that if you come to the Lord, everything will work out easy and good and quickly and and quietly and all those kinds of things. And we just know that's not true, but it is worth it. That there's, you never give more to the Lord than he gives back to you. And that he is really the bedrock and the steadfast thing in your life that, and the anchor really that keeps you through everything. And I think, um, I think that's it. I think serving the Lord and giving your whole heart and your whole life and all that you are and all that you have to him is worth it. Cool. Great grandchildren. I think. I think I would go back and tell them about my parents, if I could, because I think that's part of the story, and part of what I would tell them is that at any point, turning to God can change everything. Hmm. So you know, my kids are living in such a blessing. Because of my parents' choices. And so I think I would want to communicate that to them, that they are living for future generations. Yeah. And, uh, and really that's what we tell a lot of parents and those kind of things. No matter where you are, no matter what your background is, um, you, can, you can change those things right now in your home today. Yeah. So I would tell them those kind of things. Yeah. And, and really we're, we're all the result of that. Like we're, there's a genealogy behind our faith. 
you know, for every one of us in here, you know, somebody somewhere along the way shared with you something, you know, whether it was a family member or a friend or a grandparent or, you know, a neighbor, but somebody shared their story and it changed everything, you know, for us and how that will echo throughout generations. So, all right, it's another last time that you will get to address the congregation, but is there anything that you'd want to say just to encourage everybody today, you know, closing words? Anything you'd want to just say? Yeah. Yeah, I would just say, like, Dan and I have been talking this week about the phrase, like, highly unlikely. And if you knew where I was from, and still people to this day can't believe that I do what I do because of who, who I was as a kid. And so I'm the most highly unlikely person. And I would just say, like, if God could do what he's done in my life, he could do it in anybody in this room. Cool. That was good. <laughs> good job on that. <laughs> um, I was thinking this morning about this question, and I, and I thought, you know, when Andre and I came here a couple months ago, and now being here, we kind of are joking together, like, what do they need us here for? This place is amazing, and you all are doing great things, and and um, what, <laughs> what do you need us for? And it made me think about how, you said it, I think, already this morning. It matters that you're here. You, each one of you matter that you're here. And it's so easy, I think, when a church maybe looks like things are going well, or, you know, life gets busy and there's a million things to do and stuff like that, and you think, well, if, if I'm not there for this one thing, it doesn't matter. And, of course, we all have life that happens, but you matter. Your presence matters. You know, the Bible's really clear about that we're a body and the eyes can't do what the feet do and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, when we're together corporately, it matters that you're here. Your presence matters and who you are and what you bring to the table and the gifts that you have and just you being here matters. And we never know what our being at a picnic or on a Sunday morning service that the smile that we're going to give or the hug or or just, you know, the conversation is going to matter to somebody else. And I think even in a church that's doing amazing things, you matter, that that it matters that we're here. And so I think we're excited to see why it matters that we're here. We don't know yet, but um, but that you guys, like, this place is amazing. Coming Coming from a little bit of a difficult situation, this place is amazing. And what you're doing is amazing. And what you've already done is wonderful. And what's ahead is, I think the potential is limitless for what God can do here. In this church, in this town, in this area. And that we're all a part of it, and we all matter mm-hmm. to be a part of that. So People should come here on spring break. Exactly, yes. <laughs> I mean, hey, you just never know. You just you never, never know. know. Hey, you never know. <laughs> we're you going to Robbinsville, know. New Jersey for spring break. <laughs> we, we got a couple hotels. So. Go, to, go to the lake. Good pizza. Go to the lake. Good pizza. Yeah. Can you say thank you to Carrie and Andre today, please? Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by this message. For more information about Life Tree, please check us out online at lifetreecc.com.